Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm Steve Barnes, your host. I'm here with Lindsay Dunn from one of my stories. Ahoy there, Lindsay. Ahoy. Hey, we're doing Dark today. We're doing episode two, season one, episode called Lies. And you've done the recap for this, Lindsay. Thank you very much. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm a little tired, but I'm going to get get into this episode as soon as we start. I'm confident. Yes, we have started, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. We're doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat, too. We're recording late at night, but that's just how we do it. We got, we got to do stuff during the day. We got lots of busy, um, yeah, we got podcast producers and editors and um, all these fan letters rolling in. So, you know, we're very busy all day long. <laughs> Lindsay, do you want to start us out? Yeah, absolutely. I will transition into those all of those commercials and all that wonderful promotion into the actual <laughs> recap. So we are moving into episode two, titled "Lies." It's a good title. We have secrets. We have we have secrets. Now we have lies. Yep. Um, so at the beginning of this episode, we see the Winden power plant looming over the town and the crows are flying by and it's very <laughs> moody. Mm-hmm. And a caption lets us know that it's been nine hours since Mickle disappeared. Yes. The show is really good at giving you these occasional timestamps. Not all the time. Some movies really inundate you with that. <laughs> every time they change, they're like Berlin, Paris. and <laughs> But, uh, you know, this, this show does make sporadic use of that. And it's a useful thing to let you know kind of where you are. I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have this mysterious man walking out of the Winding Caves holding a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And he looks on at a search party that's happening in the woods. And we're assuming he's looking, they're looking for Mickle. Right. And I guess still Eric too. But sure, we do see that there are police. And that does make me think, oh, uh, perhaps this, this elaborate of a search did not happen for Eric Obendorf, which is why his parents were so upset. Huh. Right. The police were they were saying the police were not doing much. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if (laughs) Ulrich had anything to do with this. Yeah. um, When the cop's kid goes missing, it's a different Mm -hmm. story. I would like to think that they did the same thing for Eric, but it's been like two weeks. So they've already done all that trampling around in the woods. So now they're on to like other stuff. I would like to think that. But that's a really good point. That's that's fair. Uh, but this man stoops down and picks up the carcass of a dead bird, which I don't know. I'm like, what's that about? Yeah. Doesn't seem I, healthy to pick up dead animals. I'm assuming by a power plant, some toxic mm-hmm. chemicals. Uh, but, but I mean, power plants are supposed to be safe, you know, in, in their vicinity. Doesn't look like it to me. Maybe he's going to take it to the lab and examine it. That's what I was thinking. Take some samples mm. from it, <laughs> some DNA samples. I also I thought know. it was really weird how he was just all out there standing on that hilltop, fully mm-hmm. visible to anybody who might want to look up at him. Um, I thought that was interesting how he wasn't hiding. He was just there with his big old suitcase. Well, from that vantage point, we don't know what those what the people saw. 
Um, maybe, hmm. maybe we saw him from the ground. I don't remember, but we saw him come out of the cave. But as far as he was looking down at the search party, right? And he was wearing his raincoat. Remember, so his hood was up. But we get a very up and close, personal look at his face. Oh yeah, I saw right. that face. Reminds me of somebody <laughs> from 1899, except a little younger version of such. <laughs> But I was just thinking, since he had a clear view of them searching the field, they must have a clear mm. view of him up there in his creepy hooded black clothing. And they'd be like, hey, who's that, who's that guy? I mean, I would think that would arouse suspicion. And when our next scene comes and like we see Jonas like wake or mm. Jonas like pseudo wakes up from a nightmare first. Yeah. I was wondering if this was a dream that maybe Jonas was having. But it seemed to me that's not the case. It seemed to me that guy came out of the cave with his suitcase and looked at them and found the bird. It seems to me that that's reality. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the main thing I got out of this was that he was sort of separate from the, what what's going on in the town. Sure. The town okay. is all looking, but he's sort of coming out almost like a bystander and just saying, hmm, look at those people over there. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. Um, so right. you can tell okay. he's kind of an outsider. I think is, is fair to say. But we should tell him that everything is connected, right? <laughs> uh, from here, Jonas, like you said, wakes up from an, another nightmare. We can assume we don't see what he's thinking about. But he hears this piercing ringing tone and goes to the mirror and holds his ear and there's black goo coming out of his ear. And when he turns around, he sees his father, again, the same kind of look that, is, that Michael Conwald had at the end of episode one. Which I guess is how Jonas always sees him, covered in that black gook yeah. paint. Yeah. That Darkways production black stuff. They love that black stuff, don't they? It reminded mm -hmm. me of Virginia's hand when he was trying to get it off his hands. When Jonas was mm. dreaming and he was doing the little rubby thing, I was like, oh, looks like Virginia to me. Right. Um, so he kind of wakes up again. <laughs> so That's right. That was, The black stuff was all a dream, twice. right? <clears throat> yeah. And then is that this whole thing is sort of, there's so much that's eight, nine, 1899 adjacent, but like the theme of wake up, you know, Jonas is waking up <laughs> right. over and over again. <laughs> he wakes up, he has black goop, wakes up again, does not have black goop. But, yep. um, but yeah. So, uh, moving on. Yeah, I, I think this is pretty, I don't think there's much in here to dissect. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there is, but I don't have any notes for it. So I'm ready to move on. Yeah. So we're now at the police station and Charlotte is listening to the results of the autopsy of the dead boy who was found by her and Ulrich. And there's a lot of details in here. So um, 10 to 12 years old. He died 16 hours before the body was found. Right. Weird. And in addition, it turns out that the eyes were burned or melted, which caused that black material to form around the eyes. It looked like a mask almost. And the boy's eardrums and canal are destroyed. Yes. And Charles is trying to figure out what could cause something like that. And the forensic person says that it could be a loud noise, pressure, or centrifugal force. And that hmm. um, this is when we learn about the boys, what octaconia are. Yeah, I like octaconia. this. Octaconia. Yep. 
um, that the, the, they have these fibers or grains inside your ear that tell you if you're upside down or right side up. Right. And if these are damaged, you can't tell where you are. Hmm. And the boys Otaconia are all askew and in the wrong place. And what one of the things that came to mind for me immediately, some of these clues also make me think about Eric. Yes, um, because exactly. the eyes are burned. Yep. And, you know, then we saw the machine at the end closing over his eyes. I don't remember if they did anything with these ears, but then there's the connection with Jonas with his ears. Right. And that just this concept that it's almost like it sounds like um, what this boy experienced before death was that it was like he didn't know where he was. Right. And I made the same connection too. like I made that connection in the first episode when I saw his mm -hmm. burnt up eyes and they ended the episode with the clamp going across Eric's eyes there too. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the exact same thing. This guy got chaired just like Eric did. And I assumed that the thing makes a weird noise because it's around his eyes. So obviously it's going to be around his ears too. So I suppose there's some kind of pulsing or whew, something I don't want to experience. Um, I don't want to get in that weird room. So <laughs> yeah, um, we, none I, of us want to get into that weird room. <laughs> there's some weirdos. I think that would be vine for that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I didn't make the connection with the ears though, until you just told me. So thank you for that. Well, I just came up with that connection as I was talking. So I was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, let's talk about ears. We were just talking about ears. That's exactly why we do this podcast. Um, yeah. I had something that, I mean, they're going to go on later on about, how he was dressed in 1980s clothes and he had a 1980s right. cassette tape with him. So I'm thinking Mads disappeared in the 80s. I think it's logical thinking, right? That mm -hmm. Mads disappeared in the <clears throat> 80s and like Ulrich found him and he's like, oh, it's not Mickle. But that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, is it Mads? But it mm -hmm. can't be because Ulrich would know. He would say, oh, look, it's my brother. Those are my brother's shoes. That's my brother's Walkman. So obviously it's not Mads, but that's the first thing I thought. And I think the show is kind of leading me to think that. And Heather definitely thought that. Um, she told me to say on the podcast that she thinks the boy is mad straight up. She's like, that's Mads. <laughs> and I was like, it's leading us to believe that, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, um, I think Ulrich would recognize him if that was the case. Well, I feel like I really can't say anything here. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the sweet uh, child, right? <laughs> you're the sweet child. But it, it does, it does, um, we're going to get to it later, I think, some more clues um, about about Mads. But like one of the things that you logically would think that was impossible is that it says that the boy died 16 hours before right. the body was found. So yes. if that's the case, and we know that Mads has been missing since 1986, um, then it can't be Mads, right? Right. But in Ulrich, thinking about Ulrich, he's been sort of out to lunch for a while. I mean, he keeps <laughs> he keeps trying to deny the connections. So I think right. there's a possibility that even if it the evidence were pointing that it was mad, he would not he would find a way to not believe that because he doesn't want to believe it's connected. Or has not been willing to Right. Um he hasn't been willing to admit that up until this point. 
Okay. I guess it's just a moot point anyway. I'm just yeah. speculating now. And I know that like he was looking at that necklace really closely. And I think if he recognized that necklace, the red string with the penny, he would be like, yeah. oh yeah, I recognize this necklace. But he never said that. He just kind of looked at it blankly. Right. But if he did, wouldn't there be a lot of questions? Yeah. There'd be a lot of questions <laughs> yes. if he was to say, this is Mads, that there would be, that would be like really difficult for oh, anybody Oh, you're thinking, to... you're speculating that he's holding it close to the vest there. No, no, I'm saying, well, I'm saying when people see things, they don't always want to believe them. If things defy logic, mm. they find ways to not believe them. Absolutely. What do they, what do they call that? Like, um... Mm. Cognitive dissonance. Oh, uh, yeah. You're talking Westworld talk mm. now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two ideas that don't seem like they could make sense together have a right. possibility of making sense. Your mind refuses the evidence that would allow you to believe that. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we, I'm sorry. I, I, be, I yeah. belabored that point a lot. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you did talk to me about like not getting like, getting like, bogged down in those details. Okay. I can talk, but I can't listen. <laughs> um, but my Otaconia are starting to wave around, so I think we should move on to the to the next point. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so the community search party is, is going on, as we said, and Ulrich is doing his own private investigation in the caves. That's right. And discovers a metal door inside the cavern that has that universal symbol for radiation on it. Um, and I will say, it did surprise me. The thing that struck me about this scene, I only used a couple sentences, but this, the scene itself was a little longer because sure. our, our people don't always talk. There's a lot that they just do, right? Yes. And so he's searching in the caves and, um, you know, he didn't really takes the time to, to uh, figure out some safety for himself. <laughs> you know, he's just by himself with no I was thinking I know, he, needed, no he needed a buddy. He needed Charlotte <laughs> he needed with him. <laughs> yeah, he could have brought <clears throat> Charlotte or, um, but he didn't have any equipment and he falls several times because yeah. he's, he's very emotional though, so. Can't blame him. Yeah, yeah. And the door kind of makes sense to me because if it's a power plant, nearby they're gonna need to mm -hmm. like you know have underground stuff for their you know radiation core and stuff like that so it kind of makes sense to me that that you know it butts up against these natural caves but i would think that the power company i mean the power plant would welcome someone you know we're oh there's a missing child yes we'd love to help that'd be great mm -hmm. publicity for us you know <laughs> but they're yeah. not quite so open arms there are they mm-hmm <laughs> Well, we're going to divert for the moment to our teen teenagers, and we have a scene between Francisca and Magnus, and Magnus is just kind of hanging out in the woods as if he's waiting for Francisca. So yeah. that I seems like uh, not as if I mean he is <laughs> waiting <Yeah>. for her, <laughs> and because she tries to move around him and he blocks her path and kind of pushes her up against the tree and doing kind of doing his Magnus bully thing. Yeah. It worked with, with Mikkel. Maybe it'll work with Francisca. Nah, man, she's unfazed. <laughs> she doesn't even flinch. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, he's upset, you know, he's upset about this whole Mikkel situation. So he's just sort of wondering why she was in the woods 
which again this doesn't really make sense like the whole idea is Mickle's missing everybody's broken up about it why would he I guess it's because Francisca's the outsider you know he and Bartosh and Jonas and Marta they all had this plan they were going to go to the caves and Francisca wasn't part of it so maybe she has something to do with it which is kind of bizarre but when you're grieving you're not logical right right and plus he kind of maybe likes her a little bit too. And so there's a little bit of that mixed in there with his turmoil. So maybe, I don't know, maybe in his mind he was hoping that she would have an answer and then maybe they would talk or something, but it, it didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, she, you know, Francisca for, we saw before, I feel like she has sort of a sassy attitude a little bit, right? Sure. Like in the first episode, and she's not, if he tries to downgrade her or, or whatever, be sarcastic, she just gives it right back. Yeah. But in this case, she just says, I'm really sorry that Mickle's gone missing. Like it, and it really kind of takes him back yes. a little bit. Like he's taken aback by her response that he didn't expect okay. such a seer, sincere response from her, perhaps. But this moment, um, was I really like, I told you I like the character of Magnus. And I think this is one of the moments in this episode, like this episode in general, all the times we see Magnus are what get me. Um, he's, because he's so emotional about everything, but he's just such a wounded, you know, he's such a wounded animal in all of his scenes, like especially in this episode. I did appreciate how raw he was and um, I appreciated Francesca for being as um, understanding as she was. Like, I think she didn't flinch or didn't get upset because she knew exactly why he was upset and she's Mm -hmm. feeling for him. And it made me like her character a little bit more. Right. And we did have a look at this Vupax jacket. Oh, the jacket. I love it. (laughs) It's so sad that it's interesting because every once in a while I will look at that, look at their website to see if they brought that bomber jacket back. But nope, it's just hoodies and (laughs) hoodies and T-shirts now. The jacket has not been has not been made, but uh, Vupax was very proud of that and, and had a lot of pictures when that show came out of of uh, Moritz, is it Moritz Jans, the character? Anyway, he's wearing the jacket and looks really good in it. So, <laughs> Yeah, what better advertising is that? Except for now, we're talking about Vupex as well. When's our Vupex check coming in, baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Send us Vupex, some jackets. We're talking about you. <laughs> Sponsor this podcast. All right. So switching over now to Peter Doppler, hmm. who, man, this guy is, <laughs> he is, you know, he, he's so sad all the time, right? I mean, he calls Charlotte up before and was like, I got to tell you something. And she's like, uh, I'm too busy to listen to you right now. And then he's sitting in the car listening to the news report and just sobbing. Yeah. He's a big question mark right now. I haven't seen everything I've seen by him. I'm I'm suspicious of this fella. I think mm. we're I think <laughs> it's by design. I think all of right. us are looking at this guy right now, like with our raised eyebrows, like what do you know about these two? Who, you know, and we know who his daughter is. His daughter is um, Francisca, right? 
Right. Yeah. And then his wife, of course, is Charlotte. She's working mm-hmm. on the case. I don't really have any kind of speculation all, so far, all I know, because I honestly don't remember where this goes with Peter. All I know is that he was um, quasi, maybe Jonah's therapist by proxy of some sort. Right. <laughs> um, and he seemed like he was pretty cool in that in that scene, ex- with the exception. I mean, you know, at first he was cool anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he's my he's my number one suspect right now. I mean, <laughs> him well, and Ulrich's since, dad. Yeah. Yeah, especially since he says, "There's something I have to tell you, Charlotte." And right. He's, yeah, it's like, and then she just. <laughs> Maybe know, he always does that. <laughs> if he could have, yeah, I guess he could have said like he could have said, "I have something to tell you about Eric," right. or what, you know, he he's very. She's just like, I don't have time for you right now. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. These writers keeping it that, close to the vest, keeping us guessing <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah. So shortly after we see Trant Nielsen, who is Yana's husband, Ulrich's dad, putting a sweater in the washing machine with blood on the sleeves. Okay, now hmm. that's that is very suspicious. Yeah, I think him and Peter are working <laughs> together. I don't know. <laughs> um, and Yana is. We can hear she's leaving another message for Ulrich at work, mm-hmm. and. She's worried about him and wanting to say how sorry she is about Mikkel. What can they do? How she must feel losing a son and now losing a grandson, like in the same situation. Like, right. she's got to be going right. insane and her husband's just a, a stiff, a stiff weirdo. Yeah. And she, she kind of comes in and says, well, shouldn't we do something? Can we, you know, should we talk? <laughs> Go go see them. Go visit them. Bring a meal. What do the people bring a meal or something? Yeah. And uh, Tron's just like the police are working on it. Um, and she asks him where he was last night, and he tells her he was trimming the bushes <laughs> at night. <laughs> and that the car, but she said the car wasn't there. Well, I was at the the gas station getting cord, <laughs> and he's just he's a horrible a horrible liar. Yeah, not good lies. Mm. But later he joins, we see him join the search party. This is later yeah. in the episode, but he does go and he's helping with that. And he has this journal in his coat pocket, which I thought was interesting. I hadn't noticed that before that he kind of, they kind of make a point of pulling back and he pulls, you know, kind of pulls it out of his coat and puts it back in. Right. Like, notice this journal. Yes, that's all I could do was just notice that he did that. I looked for yeah. writing. I looked for anything. There was nothing to see there. So he, but mm-hmm. but I, I, he did mention to his wife that he was going to join the search party during their little brief conversation. That was like the only thing that I got from him that was um, a kernel of positivity was that he was going to go out there and join the search party. But everything else was just, he was hiding the sweater from his wife, obviously. He's mm-hmm. hiding what he's doing from his wife at night. Um Seems sketchy. Kind of remind you know, it kind of reminds me of Ulrich a little bit. That yeah, it, it different. There's a different tone to it, but the whole thing is you're doing things and not talking to your wife, and kind of you know you're hiding things because you know he certainly didn't show her the bloody sleeve or nope. And so when we now move back to Ulrich Nielsen's house, where Marta and Katarina are discussing. 
Mads' disappearance. Right. And that when Mads disappeared, Ulrich was 15 and Mads was 12. So just, this is just a little talk where they're like, she's trying to understand. Marta, I guess she's trying to understand, you know, she's trying to get comfort for the fact that maybe I understand better now dad's situation with his brother, you know. Yeah, it was a very simple scene. But the other thing to note is that Bartosz is trying to call Marta and right. she is not wanting to talk to him at all. Yeah, maybe she didn't like his behavior that night or maybe she's just, you know, absorbed in her grief. Um, mm, yeah. I like I like the moment between the mother and the daughter here. I thought it was, you know, it was a simple moment, but it was, you know, good building that, you know, that they, that mm-hmm. they have a, a relationship. Um, uh, although I wanted to yeah, say too ahead. that she was saying that... Um, she was Marta is she I got to specify when I say she mm-hmm. right Marta yeah. was telling her mom um you know Mikkel was really worried about Eric that night uh which I think is mm. cool that worried about him and how if he was lost he wanted to be found and right that comes into fruition the very next day yeah so Mar- Marta's remembering how her brother was feeling when he disappeared yeah. That's exactly what I would do. Play out the whole night in my mind to try to yeah, get any kind of sense going of what's over up. It anymore more. Yeah. So we find some more facts about the dead boy's body that that I think are interesting. That there was red soil on the clothes, right. but no red soil where the body was found. So the body was moved after the death. Right. They all recognize. The clothing shoes and Sony Walkman were from the 80s. This is Charlotte talking to her co-workers, I believe. She says something weird. She says, like, he was was dressed. She didn't say, like, he was dressed as if he was in the 80s. She said someone dressed him as as if he was in the 80s. Okay, yeah. I thought that was a really weird word choice on her part. I didn't know if I was supposed to notice that or not, but it was weird. Yeah, well, that would, you know, that would make, that would make sense if, if uh, he isn't really from the 80s that somebody would dress, maybe be like, okay, I'm trying to throw the people off, so I'm going to dress him in, you know, like serial killers sometimes do stuff to their victims, like they'll be, um, you know, they put them to bed and, and, you know, so just, I mean, (laughs) I've watched a lot of Law and Order, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I was wondering, like, I mean, I would, Mm -hmm. I would see somebody dressed, you know, with Jordans on and that kind of clothing. And I would think to myself, oh, those are like 80s style clothes. But I wouldn't think to myself, somebody dressed that person in 80s clothes. (laughs) You know, mm. there's a big difference, I think. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the boy has what's called a one fennig coin around his neck hanging on a red cord, and the coin is a 1986 vintage. Cool. The tape on the Walkman is playing the same song that Eric heard in the creepy blue room. Now, I think we sort of alluded to that in the first episode, but it was nice that they confirmed that. Yes. Um, so they, you know, that's on the tape is that same song, which is like Ingwardy, Ingward, Ingward, Woo. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the yellow sweatshirt was really interesting that, that the boy was wearing, which reads Atama Energy Nindanka. 
which means nuclear energy, no thanks. I would not have caught that if not for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I looked this up when back when I did the written recap because I was like, you know, there were so many fun pop culture things in the show to kind of catch like the pe- things people are wearing or sometimes posters on the wall. Sure. And yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a play on the Smiling Sun slogan from the mm-hmm. 1970s that was used to protest nuclear energy as an ener- energy source. And the police don't want to share all these details because they fear it will add to the panic already. Probably a good call. Right. Um, but it's this, this sweatshirt is, was really interesting because it kind of shows, I would, I would think, the person wearing this. Now, I don't know a lot about German culture, but... You know, maybe it was really popular at this time to be protesting nuclear energy, but they live sure. in a town that is basically running because of nuclear energy. Um, <laughs> so whoever was wearing this shirt was, you know, sort of environmentally, you know, minded, mm-hmm. you might say. Either that or it was or it was just this is what the cool kids do. They right. I was protest. thinking snarky yeah. or irony or something like that. Like. You know, the same way I'd wear like a Carly Rae Jepsen t-shirt just being silly. Like, I don't like Carly Rae Jepsen, but check out my shirt. You know, it could be like one of those deals. Like, yeah, our town runs on nuclear energy. No thanks. Mm. Like, just as a, <laughs> an ironic statement. But, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you, uh, you translated that for me. I don't know if I would have picked up on that at all. So, while this is going on, Ulrich just bursts into the room very unprofessionally. <laughs> Yes. And tells Charlotte about the mysterious door he found in the caves. Now, this is what I I just think you, this is what you do not do in the middle of a of a whatever you call it a report presentation presentation to the, to the staff, and especially if you're trying not to add to anybody's panic. You know, Oric just bursts in the room and says he found this door, and so Charlotte very wisely. Moves outside, and um, they're going to try to get a search warrant to look at the power plant because Alexander will not allow them to search without putting up a fight. And Ulrich then also reveals that Mads disappeared in the same place that Mickle did so many years ago. So he is now, as we've already kind of said, starting to realize there may be a connection after all. Which is why I immediately thought, okay, well, that kid they found is not Mads because Ulrich is so in the game here and he make, he's making these connections. I would, think if the, I would think that if that kid was Mads, that Ulrich would suspect that or recognize that or something, especially because he's been missing since 86. Mm-hmm. So he... If, his bo- if he died in 86 and his body was found in 2019, it wouldn't be as pristine as we just saw it, but it would still be a child's body. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or wouldn't he, you know, wouldn't he recognize the sweatshirt if that was his brother's sweatshirt, too? I think he would, except for yeah. when Charlotte gave her presentation. I got to stress that the, wor- the word choice that she gave was weird. Mm. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't Mad's clothes. Mm-hmm. Hello, and we are back to Sweet Shot of Time. Still recapping Dark Episode 2. And Lindsay, I think we're moving back to the power plant now. Is that correct? 
Right. Ulrich and Charlotte were talking about the fact that Alexander probably won't let them search without a search warrant. Right. And we get our, our first look at Alexander Tiedemann in this episode uh, <laughs> that tells Mr. Obendorf, Eric's dad, that we must get rid of them tonight. Yeah, them? That, that it's it's awfully <laughs> ominous. He doesn't say what it is. He just says them. Yeah. Is it is it human? Is it animal? Is it donations to the Salvation Army? What is it? Mm-hmm. I will say this episode overall, I think, is interesting. This episode is more than maybe any other episode. Like, leans into the murder mystery or the yeah. mystery aspect. Right? We've got. Mm-hmm. Peter Doppler going, I must tell you something, Charlotte, and crying in his car. And we've got Mr. <laughs> T- Mr. Tiedemann. We must get rid of them tonight. Uh, you know, these are like things you could put on and people would be like, oh, my gosh, he's guilty. He's guilty. He's guilty. Yep. So they're really doing a good job sort of spreading out the suspicion. And then the, the mysterious stranger that comes out of the cave. And exactly. Yeah. Is like hanging out with dead birds. You know, maybe he likes <laughs> to hang out with dead boys, too. <laughs> Yikes. He's a dead man. <laughs> um, in like, is he's much different in this episode than he was last episode. Last episode, I guess we saw him a little more vulnerable. He just had, like, a, right. a back rub or whatever, and so he was more relaxed. He, he looked ready to go to the board meeting and crack some heads in this episode. And what yes. did he say? Something like, he never told us the difference between successful and unsuccessful people. He just said, "What's the? Mm. Do you know the difference between successful and unsuccessful people?" Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Tell us, um. dude. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jurgen Obendorf—that is Eric's dad's name—is wondering if somebody else should do this sure. nefarious task, whatever it is, yeah. since the police already suspect him. But basically, Alexander is like, this is not a suggestion, it's an order, and I need you to do this immediately. There's no question that you can ask right now. So. <laughs> He's a pushover. Obendorf is a real pushover here. It looks like they have some definite roles that Alexander mm-hmm. is absolutely in charge and Obendorf is absolutely his underling. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. Now, at some point in here, and I've already, I told Steve before, viewer, listeners, let you know that some of the scenes, we're not going through point by point, we're sort of breaking things up. But at another point in this episode, so I went ahead and put it in here, mm-hmm. another person comes out of the winding caves. So that makes me wonder if it's the same person and we're seeing it again, or if it's another the stranger that has showing up in the town so that was kind of interesting and i i had yeah. you know it's been a while since i've watched this episode but we had a person come out of the caves and then the second one we had second again we had a person coming out of the caves but we did not get a look at this person's face so we have no idea who it was yeah I, like you said it could be a, a separate moment in time and it could be the same dude with the mm-hmm. suitcase, you know, Ike Larson. Let's just go ahead and say his name, Ike Larson. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I thought that it was not the same person. I thought that that because he was he went to his hotel room and he was like getting mm-hmm. clean and stuff. And meanwhile, yeah. that was going on. This other hooded person that looked exactly like him yep. was creeping around and dragging stuff around. But 
I got the distinct impression it was not that hotel dude, not Ike Larson. <laughs> I feel the same way. I should and say I the stranger. I'm supposed- sorry. The stranger is what we're supposed to call him. Yeah. What we're supposed to get out of this, I guess, would either be either number one, there's creepy people in the caves. So, like, the caves is where the creepy people hang out. <laughs> and second, that, that, that it's there's nefarious people around you know there's Mm -hmm. there's different people coming out of these caves and there's you know kind of spreads out the suspicion again yeah um so back at the Wyndon hotel regina tiedemann is surprised to see a customer show up and the customer is the first stranger we saw who picked up the dead bird and he wants a room and she she's very like uh okay can i help you he's like i'd like a room she's like this hasn't happened in weeks yeah i forgot how to do this what's my job again yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean she should be psyched but i mean he's not like exactly the ideal hotel you know patron Mm -hmm. here he's pretty dirty and pretty hooded you don't enter a room with a hood on i wouldn't think i'm just saying stranger don't do that So he's his room number is eight. Yes. And we both thought this was interesting that it's it can be the infinity symbol on a vertical axis. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it's interesting because there was all the deal with the room numbers in 1899. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Room numbers always seem to have the significance. I was taking so. the infinity route there. That's exactly what I was thinking is it reminded me of the infinity symbol that mm-hmm. either we saw early. No, I, th- I think maybe my second time watching it is when I made that connection. Actually, mm-hmm. I've watched this three times this week. I, I did it. I went for an extra third because <laughs> I liked yeah. it that much. So he's while he's after he's booked this room, he's taking a shower, getting cleaned off. And <laughs> and he has pinned objects all over the room. Looks an awful lot like our murder board at the beginning, oh, no. Steve. I think and, I know whose murder board uh, that is now. <laughs> he exits the bathroom and we can see his back is covered with scars as mm-hmm. well. And he has this book called A Journey Through Time by H.G. Tanhouse. He has a small key that opens a, that suitcase he's been carrying, and we see this machine with gears inside. Nice. And this is the cool find I had this week, Steve. Um, this b- board he has has many interesting things on it. Um, okay. There's charts and looks like swirls, just swirls and... <laughs> scientific looking things yeah yeah he doesn't really strike you that he could be a mad scientist but okay (laughs) but the very last picture had had a picture of two concentric circles and the caption read or the the symbol next to the picture said vom ort der welt which, so I had to look up that. Yeah, course. I was going to ask you, can you translate that for us, please? <laughs> well, I put it into a translator and it says from anywhere in the world. Hmm. 
from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Is what I got out of that. May not be an exact hmm. translation because it came out sort of anywhere in the world, but in another, there was like, there was Google entries and there was also the translator, but I think it's a cool, okay. uh, that why is he, you know, your mind is automatically like, why would he be researching this stuff? Um, you know, is this, this is what he's carrying around with him is all these charts, but he seems to be a scientist of some kind, but I, I feel like that's uh, an important, important thing to point out that he has that specific picture. Yeah, sure. And it says from anywhere in the world, so that makes me think um, about infinity again because you have mm -hmm. ultimate, unlimited possibilities. So. Mm -hmm. I'll just stop yeah. there because that's as far as my <laughs> my verbal <laughs> process will take me with this new information. But yeah, that's what I'm thinking is like open possibilities. Yeah. So Jonas goes upstairs to his father's studio. Yeah. And this was kind of a sad scene, but it's also so relatable as after somebody dies, you kind of want to be in that you want to feel like close to them so you will find yeah. a way to share space and people do this sometimes by putting on people's clothes or hanging out in their bedroom so this this must be the room that Jonas associates most with his father sure. right yeah his studio yeah this is probably where he spent the most time and maybe felt the happiest or felt himself um, it's kind of his private space. So we see all many paintings on the wall, and some of them look pretty disturbing. There's yeah. one wall that's just basically covered in black slashes. It looks like. Did you get a good look at any of this artwork, Steve? Um, no, I didn't get a good look at any of it, but I did get a sense. Yeah, that that his that his dad had a you know kind of a a darker mind, was a complicated mm -hmm. person. Um, probably a person who lived internally and was, you know, thoughtful, I would think. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's somebody that definitely had like a darker edge to them. Mm -hmm. But I, these, these paintings were, some of them could, could be called nightmarish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'm watching yellow jackets and there's like little pictures that one of, one of the characters draws and it's very similar, um, very dark, scary stuff that you wouldn't expect from a small child. Um, you would expect this from an older painter, I suppose. And it, you know, it's telling that that's what he fixates on painting. You know, he's mm -hmm. not trying to paint like beautiful things. He's trying to paint the darkness. Right. Yeah, it kind of the closest thing I relate it to is when somebody's like a child is often being abused. They will they do art therapy, right? Sure. And yes. They will allow them to draw their feelings and a lot of times the pictures the children will make will be really disturbing um, this is a grown man but these are the things this is his outlet in one way or another this yeah. is how he can express himself for good or for good or bad who are we to judge but it's it's just it does give us a little picture into his mind like you said yep 
and he Jonas at one point kind of just lies down to to rest or meditate and because he's in that different angle he notices this loose board in the ceiling oh yeah which is a hiding spot and inside of this spot there's this very elaborate map of the wind and caves now i can't remember how i knew it was the caves but it's just oh, it this big it. yeah it says i guess it says wind and caves okay. and <laughs> netflix gave us a little translation at the bottom of the screen in case we missed it yeah. too yes um, what a score of a find man that's an awesome yeah. thing to find right there yeah it allows I don't know. It allows him to get has Jonas to have something to focus on, figuring this yes. out, this mystery. Yeah, and like a a map of underground caverns. Like what <laughs> if you're having yeah. troubles and you can't get your mind off certain things? That's something that will definitely take your mind off of it. Is just looking at a map and looking at the inscriptions. Interesting inscriptions. One of the inscriptions says something like, um, "The crossings" or "Where is the crossing?" or something along mm, those lines. That's right. And, um, you know, that, of course, probably made Jonas wonder what the heck that was, because, you know, he focused on that saying, too. Right. Um, great score, man. Good job, Jonas. <laughs> um, Jana Nelson visits the tomb of her son, Mads, mm-hmm. and she places this figurine. She replaces one figurine with another. And I couldn't figure out exactly who this character was, but yeah, for some reason either. I thought it was He-Man. It was a He-Man character. Looks like a He-Man knockoff, I would say. Yeah, German version He-Man. of He-Man. Okay. <laughs> she kind of swaps them out, almost like you would swap out flowers, you know, instead of like, we got... <laughs> I think it's we cute. Have this, yeah, it is. And uh, the grave read Mads Nielsen, 4-12-1973, to infinity. Which, hey, this episode comes yeah. out on 4-12-2023. <laughs> Everything is connected. <laughs> I guess, I guess you, you've set yourself a deadline. All right, everybody, so it's going to be out tomorrow. <laughs> Whoops, edit that. <laughs> but yeah, what you're, saying about the, what you're saying about the infinity marker, you're right. That's, that's mm-hmm. a pretty badass way to like make an inscription for somebody that you're not sure what they're... Um, what the day they deceased was or even if they are deceased right yeah i mean i thought this was interesting i'm like is this a thing people do is this a common practice or (laughs) for this particular grave it would indicate that like you said either they you know they don't know um the body was never found they have no date so yeah, I, it did make me wonder if other people do this or if this was like this family, that was the decision they made that they were going to not put a date down. Yeah, I've never seen that before. And um, I guess it's a good place to say, too, that um, something that I noticed was how this ties in like with our the theme song of the show, which mm-hmm. like says the, the phrase, you know, neither ever nor never goodbye. And that's what's happening here is Mad's mom is like at the graves, supposedly saying goodbye to Mad's, but she's never got a chance to actually say goodbye to him. Therefore, she is always going to that grave, swapping out those figures, and she's pretty much always saying goodbye to him. 
Um, I, I thought that was a really neat scene. So good. It was such a good find, Steve. I was, I was like, oh, really, really like, I don't know, gut punch there, Steve, uh, to, <laughs> to find that. But yeah, I loved that. But this, this was a really, I don't know, it was a really sweet moment having, having her go there and, and do that. And, you know, maybe she's, she's done it before. It's something, a ritual she does to stay close to him. And yeah. Yeah. It seemed like she had a whole box full of those knockoff figures. So I think she does this probably on a weekly, monthly, annual basis. I don't know. But it seems like this is a regular thing she does. Mm-hmm. So the Nielsen family, they show this family going through this period of grief and everybody's expressing things their own way. So Katerina, she's just on watch. She's confident that Mick is still going to come home, but mm -hmm. she will stand out in the rain like, like mm -hmm. a guard dog waiting <laughs> for him to come home and for her other kids, you know, um, so I... She's intense. She's an intense character. This just happened to her, so heck yeah. Yeah. And then Marta is just blocking all the phone calls. Mm -hmm. Magnus is punching his walls until his knuckles are bloody. Yep. And Ulrich is, is you know, he's frantically searching on his own. Right. And he could be... How, he could be working with somebody, like working with Charlotte, or Maybe. even talking to his <laughs> wife. But instead, everybody's the. This family is not. We we saw them at the in episode one, and we both enjoyed their family scene and thought it seemed like so comforting, kind of and mm -hmm. familiar. But this family, as many families do instead of taking comfort in each other and coming closer together, everybody's just kind of mm -hmm. three shades to the wind trying to handle it by themselves. Well, something I took differently was when she was standing out in the rain, like, like you said, waiting for Mikkel, and then Magnus comes home and they kind of share a look and then Magnus is looking kind of upset, obviously, and then goes upstairs and is punching his wall. Mm -hmm. Um I think that I think that was like almost I think that was a very telling look between the two of them. Like he feels guilty because he was the one that was supposed to be watching Mickle. He brought Mickle with them that night. So he's probably feeling very responsible. I know this because the song they're playing is by um a band called a man, I should say, called Myra K. Song called Industry here and what the song is about is feeling overwhelming guilt. And so I think that song choice probably is geared towards Magnus and his mom is looking at him. She loves Magnus, but she might be thinking that at this moment, like, you know, you took Mikkel out of here and now he's gone because of you. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I took from that. Right. But I feel like the healthier thing would have been to do is for Magnus to to go to his mom and for them to hug, you know, like you <laughs> yes. said, she, like if, if even what you said, they shared a look, but then they kind of went their own ways. And yeah. if she is thinking that's kind of what happens too, like your mental state divides you from the people you should sure. be loving and keeping close to you. And instead you sort of push everybody away 
because you feel guilty or you feel sad or feel bad and you're like ashamed of those feelings. Yeah. So you're just trying to handle it on your own and I feel like that's what everybody's trying to do. It's very normal, very natural, but it still was, um, you know, it's not a very functional way to act as a family. Ideally, you want to come together and and help each other. But this is what happens. Like a lot of times yeah. you see this if somebody's real. if somebody's kid goes missing, sometimes a marriage cannot survive that. You know, you end up or if the child dies, even you see um, families fall apart because they need it's it's hard to come together. But it's it's grueling here. But um you know, one of the things that I didn't mention, though, is Ulrich is also ignoring Hannah's calls. Yeah. And she finally comes to the police station and is sort of trying to do the, I'm here for you, Ulrich. And he has to kind of put her in her place. Yeah, he does. says he can't do this right now. And... um I don't know. So what do you think about this Nielsen family and this Ulrich with with Hannah? That was, I don't know, you felt a little bad for Hannah, but at the same time, Mm-mm. you were kind of happy that he's trying, you know, for once, he's trying to be a good dad and focus on his mm-hmm. duties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, point one for Ulrich, because um, not really point one, just I understand point uh, point zero for Ulrich here. He doesn't get a point taken away because <laughs> um, he's too torn up right now to to mm-hmm. try and to even think about kissing or anything. So of course yeah. he's not into that right now, and that's he and Hannah's entire relationship is the gist that I got. It's a sexual only relationship. Right mm-hmm. now he doesn't want sex. Therefore, right now he doesn't want Hannah, and um, Hannah get something out of their relationship too. You know, she's, you know, missing comfort. Her husband committed suicide. So she's getting, even though she's not getting what she wants out of this relationship, she's getting something. She's getting some comfort. And she looks pretty mad at the end here that Ulrich doesn't want her. She looks kind of like unjustifiably pissed. And um, that was minus one for Hannah in my mind there. Um, you know, because, I mean, people feel the way they're going to feel and they're not going to act the way that they should act. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole moment, I mean, I think the most appropriate thing for Hannah to do in this situation would be to go to the household of the family <laughs> and be like, I'm here for all of you guys. You know, I'm sorry this mm-hmm. happens because this is yeah. her son's friend. Her son is involved. She's got to put this affair past her and at least for the next couple of weeks play it cool <laughs> yeah. um, she can't expect Ulrich to want to play hanky panky right now and I don't blame him nobody's blaming him for not wanting to do this because the, he's doing what he should be I mean he's not doing what he should be doing he's grieving by himself like the whole family is and that is something we should acknowledge about the Nielsen family is that we saw Martha and the mom having a moment earlier they had maybe, you know, maybe a 10 minute moment, but they've all been suffering silently alone. And mm-hmm. that's how Ulrich likes it. He doesn't, you know, doesn't need somebody else to talk to right now. Certainly not Hannah. We see him go to his wife later and talk to her a little bit. That's yeah. a plus one Ulrich. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean it so much like, not so much that I felt bad for Hannah, but I do, I guess 
I related to Hannah um, because okay. he, I felt like in the last episode, he was kind of chasing her hard and heavy. Yeah. And then when that person just disappears, even if you do know, like, this isn't appropriate at all and um, it's not really appropriate, but he just sort of disappeared. Of course, he's doing the same thing with the rest of his family, right? He's like yeah. not talking to Katarina either. So you can't expect he would be, be talking to Hannah. Um, but it, it just, it, you know, when you have, you feel a closeness to someone, even if it's a fake closeness, mm -hmm. which like you said, their relationship is mainly sexual. Um, that's what we see at least. Sure. Sure. When that kind of just leaves, that can be, it can be hurtful to have that person just ghost you out of the blue. But it yeah. is not appropriate at all for her to show up at his work nope. and and be like, "Hey, you haven't been, you haven't called me back." Well, guess what? I don't call my wife and I don't call my mother either. So why yep. am I going to call you? Fair point. Um. So we see Eric again, strapped into that chair and yep. we don't even see at this point Eric's eyes. So. Who knows what those look like? Um, this is the last we see of Eric uh, as a living being. Is the is this scene here? Next time we see Eric, his body is being dragged in a bag by a man in a raincoat. Yeah, and his eyes are all burned up too. Mm. We see that red hair. We see his burn up eyes. Yeah. And yeah, you can't tell if it's. Um, if it's our stranger in the hotel or if it's the pseudo stranger that we saw later. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, some hooded figure is dragging a burnt up Eric. His body is looking lifeless too. Mm -hmm. And when the, um, when the torture is actually going on, there's a TV program with a man uh, doing a little lesson about science, almost like Bill Nye the Science Guy. Mm -hmm. There's this little <laughs> wizened man giving a lecture on TV, and that is what is being watched by whoever is, has strapped Eric into this chair. So it seemed appropriate to the more scene. More fun too. things about that room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an educational room. On top of that, yeah, but he was saying something like about you know about how far we go for science and like, you know, the, the boundaries that we push for science and we're seeing that as this is happening. So it makes mm. me think those two things might be connected. Everything okay. is connected, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so Marta is ignoring Bartosz's calls. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, I don't have anything else to do. Let me look in that bag of dope that Finally. I got from the cave. He should right. have to think up a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he finds a cell phone. Score, yes. And it's the deal where the screen is like, hey, you've got three tries to get this password. <laughs> he tries one and it doesn't work. So he kind of gives up from there. But. It was kind of kind of interesting that Bartosh has found this mm -hmm. mysterious cell phone, right? I hope he tries. Uh, I don't know. I was thinking he should go ahead and give it another shot, buddy. Try one, <laughs> two, three, four, five. You know, try zero, 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 zero. <laughs> Come on. Um, try eight, 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 eight. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> try your birthday, Bartosh. What's your birthday, buddy? 
put that in there. I mean, or Eric's birth date. Oh, you know something else. Eric, because well, it I was guess, Eric's stash. Yeah, that's right. It's supposed supposedly Eric's stash. Yeah. yeah, or Eric's dad's stash. Um, maybe mm. it's maybe it's yeah. It makes me think it's Eric's phone and like, mm. I don't know. yeah, speculation yeah. only. I don't remember whose phone this is. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it would ring at one point. Maybe we'll see it ring later. Ooh, maybe. <clears throat> Keep it charged up anyway, Bartosh. <laughs> <laughs> is there a charger in the bag? <laughs> I didn't see one, but hopefully it has a universal. <laughs> universal. <laughs> universal charger. <laughs> Go to Walmart. So Ulrich is looking at the tire tread patterns that Charlotte has already. This is a, this again would be a perfect opportunity for him to talk to Charlotte because right. hey, she's the tire tread expert. Right. Um, so he realizes they come from a van, which I think this was brought up in the first episode, right? That, that Mr. Opendorf has a van that was, and I remember you going, maybe that'll come up later. Who knows? It was real quick. (laughs) Next episode. Here we go. (laughs) So all of a sudden Ulrich is a good detective and he's like, Ah, Mr. Opendorf has a van, which is what Charlotte said in the first episode. Okay. So he asks his coworker if they questioned Jurgen, and it turns out he was working at the power plant the night Mikkel disappeared. And he just decides to search Jurgen Oberdorf's property. And I did not mean to say urban nerf. (laughs) But he's going to search his property. And this was a really creepy scene, really well done. Uh Where he's he's searching through all this stuff and finding all these creepy objects and jars and I had a question about the jar. What what was in that jar? We couldn't it tell, was, could we? I think it was coins. Just like random coins. It didn't sound like coins, though. It sounded weird. He Well, he looked at several jars. But yeah. the one, the last one he held up, he's like, what is this? Like, it, you know, he was, he was just looking at all these creepy objects and he finds a dirty mattress, which is pretty suspicious. Really suspicious. Yeah. And underneath the mattress is a hatch. I feel uh-huh. like I'm telling a creepy story. <laughs> like a creepy campfire story. He slowly opened yeah. the hatch door. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hurgan tries to stop him from going further with this search with a shotgun in his hand. I, I feel like you know he had a rifle or something. He's like That's appropriate, don't open I think. This. That's right. appropriate if somebody's going through your stuff and you don't know who they are. Yeah. But there's this bag attached by chains to the floor. So he's... (laughs) (laughs) What is up with that thing? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're sort of, you know, when I first watched this episode, I'm like, Uh what is in the bag? Is it it Nickel's head? Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I think that they want us to think that. And instead, yeah. it's just plastic baggies of drugs. Yeah, just more dope. Just more dope. Why would that, you? That, that he kept in mud <laughs> down in the ground. That's the strangest hiding system I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Yeah. And he does the stupidest confession I've ever heard in my life, too. 
Like, he's like, oh, yeah, those are, he could have just been like, yeah, those are drugs. Okay. But no, those are me and Eric's drugs. Me and Eric <laughs> sold drugs at his school to school children, Ulrich. That was yeah. like the dumbest, but Ulrich didn't even, he's so far gone, he didn't even, that passed right by him. He should have been putting handcuffs on him, been like, you're selling drugs to school children. Let's go have a chat, buddy. But he just blazed past that. Yeah, he's, Ulrich's not not doing, we've already established he's not doing well and he's sort of not focusing on his job. But it was a very heartbreaking scene with Mr. Obendorf. He's, you know, yeah, maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to, confess to some drugs to kids at school. Um, but he's just like, Eric and I were selling drugs so Eric could buy a scooter. <laughs> and it's just, it's so sad. You're it like, sad. he was trying to help his son. I guess this family's really poor, maybe yeah, a lot poorer than we realized. And, yeah. and so he loves his son and wanted him to have a, his scooter. So he's like... Sure, I'll help you <laughs> sell drugs, buddy. I mean... I think that would, might have been Eric's room. Maybe? I mean, why else would that mattress be there? I mean, that dude, Obendorf, lived in that trailer. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense that Eric lived in that trailer, too. And these are just like their garages, but... Well, surely not. Surely not. He Surely he does not have his son... You know, I would, I think this I is just their workshop, you know, you're not. And what, you yeah. like, you take a break and lay down on the mattress when you're tired <laughs> from all your welding, James? Well, it could, it could be that, um, I don't know, he's, Eric has disappeared sometimes for a couple days for one reason oh, or another. that's right, that's right. So maybe they leave the mattress in case Eric comes home and, mm, okay. and or maybe he's hiding out so they don't catch him selling drugs. I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> he had to, that, yeah. That is tied in with Alexander Tideman, obviously, mm, but yeah. I get the sense that his dad is sweet and innocent. Um yeah. At this point, anyway. Um, I mean, I know that... I know the laws of misdirect with television shows, okay? I understand how that works. But right mm-hmm. now, like, he's he's not my suspect. He looks very sincere. Yeah. And he looked like he, you know, cared for his son, despite the fact that they were a drug-dealing duo. <laughs> yeah. And if he's so bro- broken up about his son, then why would he want to hurt somebody else's son? You know? Sure. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But speaking of Alexander Tiedemann. Oh, is he coming um, up? <laughs> yeah, he's monitoring some items, whatever the them was that That's we're right. getting rid of. Some items being loaded into a large tractor trailer. I hate it when the president watches me drive a forklift <laughs> around. It makes me very nervous because that does happen sometimes at my job. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is like this is another thing the the search warrant is looming perhaps so he needs to get rid of whatever yes. this thing is before the search warrant happens that makes total yeah. sense have we already had the scene where um um Ulrich was you know begging with him through the through the gates to let him in for the search warrant i think so, that's a scene that happened already right i don't think i 
I didn't necessarily cover it in the recap, so we yeah. can we can discuss it if you want. Oh, not much to discuss. Just the fact that what you said that mm-hmm. seems exactly why they're getting rid of this stuff because they know a search warrant is looming and that mm-hmm. Ulrich is coming for you, buddy. Yeah. He's just like, let me in so I can search now. Why wait for the search warrant? And Alexander is like, sorry, Ulrich, we can't because of security issues. Um, but yeah, that scene is, um, you know, Ulrich is standing there in the rain. And yeah, just he looks sad. Absolutely. Lots of sadness in this episode. Yep. Um, but Katarina comes home and... Well, where she's been home. Anyway, everybody's home, and Ulrich <laughs> finds her in Mikkel's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of says, no matter what, you won't keep secrets from me. And this was, I don't know, this was a, this was a powerful scene. I have no idea exactly what she's referring to when she said that. We already saw her discover the hair. Right. But... That's where my mind went, that she was, yeah. you know, concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Another thing, too, that happened that um, I didn't see in your recap was we had Jonas talking with his mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they were yep. hanging out in the kitchen, sitting on the counter. That's how me and Charlotte talk. We sit on the counters in the kitchen exactly like that. That's where we have our chats. And they're talking, and it seems like um, Hannah and um, Jonah's dad... Michael didn't have like the tightest relationship and she a lot of things she didn't know about him mm-hmm. the most significant thing though was Jonas said did you love him she never answers that question much in the same way that when she told Ulrich that she loved him Ulrich left her hanging so mm-hmm. she just left Jonas hanging here um, the disruption here was the lights came on, so she was distracted, but it's significant that she never answered that question. Right. I think, I'm not sure if there's two questions, but one of the questions that he asked his mom, he may have asked her, do you love him? But I feel like the the question I remember is he said, "Did do you miss him? And she says, I miss the idea of him. Yeah. I thought that was a harsh, <laughs> a harsh lesson in love there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they're kind of sharing a moment too, like you said. That, mm-hmm. Like we talked about sharing moments. They're sort of sharing a moment, like Hannah. I mean, not Hannah. Um, Katarina and Marcia shared a moment. Um, <clears throat> but the the lights in the town are flickering in different buildings. So you mentioned the house already. Um, at the Nielsen house, at the school, at the hotel. And the police station. And Charlotte leaves the police station and finds the sidewalk covered in dead birds. I think that um, the stranger would have a field day over there. He would be <laughs> loving it. All these dead birds he could pick up. Um, I'm thinking these are signs that the power plant is not exactly what we would like it to be because we got the sweatshirt saying nuclear power no thanks we got Mm. dead birds maybe because of toxic smoke and we got the lights flickering across town um the power plant is not supposed to have flickery lights so obviously that's also related to the power plant too 
Hmm. So it seems to me power plant. Oh, yeah. And the power plant is clearing some crap out now because they're getting mm-hmm. ready to get searched. Um, big question well, marks hanging over if, that plant. Yeah, I did wonder if the lights flickering caused the dead birds or if it was there's some other grander thing that caused both the flickering lights and the dead birds. Like mm-hmm. those those two things <clears throat> are obviously related um, and what would cause birds to just fall out of the sky, you know, all the all of a sudden right. at the same time? Well, in Yellow Jackets this week, when Shauna pricked her finger and blood fell onto the symbol of the blanket, that's when all the dead birds fell from the sky onto their roof. And I think mm. that was more, maybe more symbolic of the um, of Lottie's crew out there and what they're up to in the woods in Yellow Jackets. But anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to dark. See, <laughs> it's just funny, the same yellow, thing. Don't get your yellow jackets and your yellow jackets, your yellow rain jackets yes. confused. <laughs> they are totally connected because I watched two shows this week with like dead birds plopping from the skies. <laughs> so that's that says something. You got your next meme, I think, to work on. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the stranger puts a new clipping up on his wall. Mm-hmm. And... The headline used to say, where is Mickle? He crosses out the word where and replaces it with when. When is Mickle? Now, what does that remind you of, Steve? <laughs> um, I would say 1899, one more time. Is that what you're getting at or no? No. <laughs> um, um, uh, uh, well, it made me. Uh, I was thinking of Mickle's magic trick. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Remember with the cups? Not not where did it go, but when did it go? That question is how, because yep. the question there was how. And he uh, says, the question is not how, it's when. Yes. And so Oof. the stranger changes the question here from where to when. I did not catch that at all. We all caught it now, though. Thank you. That's great. Yes. Catch it now, people, because this <laughs> is it. the coolness of the show. If you did not catch that, so many awesome things that they do with this story, because each episode builds on another, and the points that you didn't think you thought were, oh, that's interesting, just become more and more interesting, like Steve pointed out with the lyrics, too. But this this was... Uh, this is a mind-blowing moment here. This when, where is Mickle changed to when is Mickle. Right. And knowing that Mickle loves magic tricks, is Mickle doing a magic trick, you know, here? <laughs> yeah. Even unknowingly to himself, because it doesn't look like he's um got his magician confidence on his face right now. Oh, when we see the next movie. scene. <laughs> yeah. So as if an answer... We finally see Mickle climbing out of the caves. Yay. I was happy. And we're like, yeah, we're like happy. We're like, good. This this kid, we love him. We yeah. already love him, right? Yep. We want him to be okay. So he comes out of the caves. He's not, He's his face is dirty. He's not looking good. He, uh, he runs home and his key doesn't work. And a teenager comes out of the, of the house and Mickle is really confused and exchange names. And the teenager says that his name is Ulrich. 
he says he's Ulrich and he, I think he says that the kid is dense and it's definitely his house and it's definitely yeah. Ulrich, except it looks like a little young, handsome punk here. Yeah. Yeah. Young guy, um, maybe about the same age as Jonas and Bartosz. We've already got time traveled introduced into the show. We've got a young <laughs> Ulrich here at his house. I'm sure if we went yeah. inside the house, we would see um, his mom and dad from earlier, maybe looking younger. And yeah, who comes and picks him up that morning? Mm-hmm. Who's he going to school with? That's, that's his lady friend, Katerina, right? Ooh, Katerina. And this is our first peek at the casting. The, the, the casting here. I mean, I don't know if I think the resemblance as strongly with the Ulrich characters, but that teenage Katarina, they sure did a good job <laughs> picking her. Uh, the resemblance is uncanny, especially the eyes. Um, but yeah, there's... Um, so we have Ulrich and we have Katarina picking him up, and that's, that is Mikkel's parents. And of course, Mikkel is really confused about this whole this whole scenario as we all would be right he recognizes that he knows the names and he knows who they are Mm -hmm. so he's like super confused and of course he pulls up that newspaper and it shows us and him that it's 1986 now Mm -hmm. so yeah that's a big slap to the face for mickle there (laughs) oh speaking of slap to the face when when they go off to school together and she's like, who's that? And, you know, he makes some snag remark. She smacks right. him upside his head, just like Magnus likes to smack his little brother, Mikkel, upside the head. So I think I take it back, all that stuff about Magnus being a bully to his brother, because obviously that's like a Nielsen family, like tradition, like thing that they do to each other. They she smack hit him he- on the head. She smacked him on the back of the head, exactly like Magnus and wow. um, Bartosz did to Mikkel. Exactly. That's that's really cool. <laughs> I thought it was Especially too. since it's Katarina, <laughs> the one who's doing it. Oh, yeah. And the yellow chair that we saw back in 2019 mm-hmm. that the drugs were in Good was call. not yeah. there when um, Mikkel came out. So I think that's yeah. maybe like one of our signposts we can look out for in the future is that yellow chair, whether mm-hmm. it's there or not. Yeah, the yellow chair. So this, you know, this is crazy, right? You know, this, we didn't necessarily expect time travel. No. You know, before, when you first come into the show, right? Um, This was a show, was a watch-alike to Stranger Things. So we expected there to be uh, murder, kidnapping, missing kids, foul play. But uh, I don't think anybody, when this show came out, expected it to be time travel, Nope, not even yeah. <laughs> remotely. <laughs> yep, I'll notice that Ulrich's dad snuck out again. We can't forget that. We see him sneaking out one more time. What's Ulrich's dad's name again? I keep calling him Ulrich's dad. <laughs> Trant. Trant. Trant has sneaking out once again. Um, somebody should give him a head in- smack. they're in bed and we see you know we're seeing the patterns of the family emerging but that is the the end of this episode what do you think overall about this episode steve oh wow um i thought it was great because a lot of the characters 
that didn't have conflict before now have conflict. Um, we had some freewheeling characters like Bartosh and even like Magnus before that, you know, all Magnus was worried about it was his hoodie. Now he's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah. Same with Bartosh. You know, he's he's dealing with with this as well in his own way. Um, everybody has conflict right now. So I'm, I'm, it's great. They added more conflict, more murder mysteries, the time travel. This is the kind of thing they would usually end a series on. This seems like it's like the last episode of a whole season or something. So that this is episode two is very um, inspiring that more good stuff is following. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to ask you. Uh, we're going to talk about who we liked in this episode and who we didn't like. We always got to name one person in each category. Can you tell me um, one person that you liked and one person that you didn't like? And I'll write it down for the for the archives. Hmm. Well, my my MVP of this episode is is still continuing with Magnus. I thought he gave a really strong performance right. with his scene at the tree and also the scene punching the wall. He did a really good job bringing that raw <laughs> energy to... Why are you laughing at me? Because his, hand, his hands got all bloody. He was like, you said he did a good job and I was thinking like his, his hands were tore up. With that performance <laughs> yes, of being... Absolutely. Of giving raw energy with... You know, he's not doesn't really have any speaking parts at all, but his... His face is tortured. He, he, does yeah. a, he did a great job. Uh, as far as who I didn't like. There's a bunch of possibilities. Can you say who you liked first and give me time to think about who I didn't like? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, this was a tough one for me because um, there wasn't like really any standouts here. I was thinking maybe Francesca, but... I think the autopsy director at the beginning of the episode is my favorite person so far because she taught us about those, the, the ear things. She seemed like she was really into like science and her job and she was cute. I thought she was cute. And I hope anytime a dead body comes up on the show that she's the one that gets to examine it. So that autopsy doctor is my MVP of the episode. Hmm. Um, I think... I am gonna have to go for for worst. I think I'm gonna have to go with Trant. <laughs> okay, <Nielsen>. solid. <laughs> um, you know, making up. Not only is he lying to his wife, but he's making up really terrible lies <laughs> that aren't convincing at all. Yeah, not even trying. <laughs> yeah, there's not much to really like about him. We see him covering up bloody sleeves and and sneaking out, sneaking out twice. And he's not, you know, you can tell that his, you know, his son's in pain. His son's family's in pain. Uh, yeah. Yana's in pain. And it doesn't, ju- it just seems like he's very self-absorbed and not the type to offer comfort at all. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I was thinking he might be my least favorite too, but I went with um, Alexander um, Tiedemann. <laughs> Is that how you say his last name? Tiedemann. Tiedemann. Yeah. Cause he seems like a real big know-it-all prick. That like lords his, you know, power over everybody else. Um, he wasn't very likable in this episode at all. So he's my number one least favorite MVP. So you think maybe he's so stressed out and needs those back massages because of all the cruelty <laughs> that he exacts yes, on people? All that negative so. energy? That, pro- that thing in his back might be all these like nerves, like all bunched up in this big thing because he 
has all this guilt and just anger inside of him. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't mind him the first episode, but this episode, he's no good. Mm-hmm. So if you could come up with, I don't know, I, I guess I before we exit exito, I wanted to ask, like, what's your big question at the end of this episode? Like, what's the thing you most want to know? Um, how exactly Mikkel got to 1986. Absolutely. Um, uh, another big question, who is that dead guy? Is it Mads? Like, Heather so desperately wants to think it's Mads. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But who is he if he's not that? Um, mm. I'm, I'm centered on the, on the dead children. I think you're supposed to be right. Something is killing the children and <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you don't have questions call. at this point because, um, you're more familiar with the series than me. I'm Mr. Forgetful. I mean, I'm, that's why I'm doing this. Cause I want to stick it in my brain. Um, can you play pretend as if you've never seen anything else and, what would your biggest questions be at this point if you've never seen it before? Well, I think I want to know what Peter Doppler's secret. Oh, is, big one. It's one yeah. of the things. And, you know, the what did Alexander want to get rid of? And Okay, yes. Yeah, where does the door lead? What's the code to the cell phone? I mean, there's there's so many questions. Yeah, who's that... a stranger? What's up with the cave map? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There's, got... there's so much. But yeah, the big question is, I think, you know, the overall question you have is about is about Mickle and where did, how did he get there and, and can it be undone? You know, how can he undo this? Because this must be very painful for him coming home and, you know, coming home and finding right. if he can even wrap his head around. My parents are teenagers and there's no room for me, you know, at this house right now. So I am a homeless person. Right. A man without a country. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that when I, w I read a lot of books when I was a kid, like even before I was a teenager, I was, you know, reading adult books and all kinds of fantasies going through my head. And I'd read Stephen King's The Stand when it was released and I was maybe 10 or 11. So like I had all these big things going through my head too. Like what if, you know, I went back in time? What if I like woke up tomorrow and I was my dad? You know, what if? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if Mickle plays with those things in his head a lot. But a lot of times when you fantasize about these kind of things, you um, you tend to go on the more fun side of it. Like, ooh, if I went back in time, I would say this to that person or I would do this. Um, I mean, Mikkel right now is just stuck in the tragedy of it. But I hope he gets to have some fun with this. I hope he gets to like tease his dad mm -hmm. or maybe s smack his mom upside the head or something, you know. I mean, here's, here's your <laughs> chance, Mikkel. It seems like a lot of fun could be had. Or could, you know, could he go to a place where he can um, smack baby Magnus up the head, you know, like. <laughs> or yeah, what's the kind of place that like never changes with time? Like that's something I would think about too. Like if I went back in time, I could go to downtown Richmond and it would be very similar to what I know now mm -hmm. because of the cobblestone streets and the old architecture. So like, you know, I wonder what kind of familiar stuff around Wyndon is still familiar to Mickle. Mm -hmm. you know, that he might be able to immerse himself. Maybe the library is similar or um, if they have like a YMCA type thing um, that he can take refuge in or something. 
He's got to go somewhere. He's got to sleep somewhere. I hope he doesn't sleep on the streets. Um, I guess it'll be yet to see on next episode, which I might watch right now. <laughs> Since we're free of episode two now, it might be time mm-hmm. to go into episode three. Right on. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do some plug time, Lindsay. You've, uh, I'm going to plug you. One of my stories. You got a lot of stuff going on over there. You did the South by Southwest thing. Um, please remind everybody of the interview you did with the, the director of Coherence. Yeah, so I got to interview James Ward Burkett, the director of Coherence, which I guess Steve just watched recently, too. I did. uh, Yeah, and he has a new miniseries coming out called Shatterbelt, which debuted at South by Southwest, so I got to interview him about that series, and it was he's a very interesting guest to have on the podcast, so... That was, I think that might've been one of the best interviews I've heard with you. He was really open to all your questions and he like tackled them. He he wasn't, I I got, I definitely got the sense that he wasn't just um, going through the motions or whatever. He wasn't just on the phone. He was like, you know, he was engaged. It was great. Yeah. So that's, that's on one of my stories. That's, that's my latest post. So yeah, I'll plug that and thank you very much for that plug. Yep. Do you have any other plugs or is it Steve Barnes plug time? Steve Barnes. <laughs> well, we've got Introvoid, of course, who runs the Sweet Child Time podcast. And uh, he's always putting out music that you can listen to. And it, you can find his link tree at uh, in the show notes. It's always there so every it. week. And I recently mm-hmm. covered Goodbye by Apparat. I called it Apparat's yes. Goodbye because I wanted to make sure the band got their name in there somewhere in the title. Um, yep. But my most thing I do is this, Sweet mm-hmm. Child of Time. This is like what I've been focusing on mostly. Um, I've noticed a big uptick in the 1899 recaps lately. I think maybe because we're doing dark, maybe some of our same listeners are going back and listening to the 1899 recaps I did with Nate and with you mm-hmm. occasionally. Um, so yeah, I welcome people to check that out. Yeah. And I mean, if you like that, the, a lot of things with time travel, Steve has, Steve has, has talked about several things. I need to go back and we'll listen to more of your archive to get to know your material, but wheel of time, 1899 is, is covered and, and recovered. So they're, they, they covered it a second time. Um, but you also did stuff like time bandits and other shows like that, right? Yeah. I did time bandits. I did, um, uh, I did other things too that I can't remember mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. In the future, I'll probably be, um, I'll continue doing Dark, continue doing Wheel of Time, and probably yeah. lean into stuff like Severance, Yellow Jackets, maybe Swarm, whatever else catches my fancy. It's all up to me. I love to, to recap TV shows, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. That's why I slid into your DMs Ooh. to be like, let's talk about 1899. <laughs> Because I liked I liked the show so much, so I do encourage you to check it out. Thank you very much. I think we're winding down now, Lindsay. So I think it's about time that I suggest that you, down there in the south, you are to find some water and shade this spring. Steve, I hope you find water and shade and a yellow chair. 
a yellow chair to go with my yellow rain jacket and my yellow jacket coverage. And to mm. all the fans and all the listeners out there, thank you very much. Goodbye. Find water and shade. Until next week. Sweet shot of time. Bye, Lindsay. Bye. <laughs>